Hello, my name's Sadi Rhodes and I attend the 9am service. This morning I'm going to read to you the book of John, chapter 20, starting at verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen, lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and he believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking it was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where have you put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he'd said these things to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, was one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hand and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, 
Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The last seven chapters of John's Gospel that we've been going through, it's a third of the whole book. They have narrated just a 24-hour period leading up to Jesus' death on the cross. Uh, we, we looked at that last week. Now, this time that Jesus spent with his disciples, those final moments, had such a profound impact on John who, who wrote this Gospel. But what we look at today in chapter 20 eclipses it all. This is the turning point, uh, not just in the life of John and Peter and, and Thomas and Mary and all the other disciples. This really is the turning point of history itself. After this, those 11 disciples grew to be about 120 disciples. And then as we move into the book of Acts, there's 3,000 and then 5,000. And, and then in times, countless thousands across the whole Roman Empire as the gospel spread to the Gentiles right on down to you and I and over a billion other people right around the globe today. Uh, but it all stands or falls on the truth of the resurrection. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is useless. You are still in your sins. Then those who have died in Christ are also lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all people. So friends, as we look at John's account of Jesus' resurrection, let's ask God for his help. Pray with me. Dear Father, please open our minds and our hearts to the truth of your word, so that like Thomas, we can humbly and yet confidently say to Jesus, my Lord and my God. Amen. Last week we saw that Jesus died around about midday on the Friday and as soon as they got Pilate's permission, they hurried to get his body down from the cross, embalmed and wrapped in grave cloths and placed in the stone tomb. All before sunset, because that's when the Sabbath started and no work was allowed to be done. Now, the next day, of course, was the Sabbath right through the day until sundown, uh, our Saturday. Um, and it must have been quite eerie, you know, deep grief for many who knew and loved Jesus. Perhaps smug victory for others, but mixed with kind of anger and resentment because Jesus' death had intruded into their Passover celebration. Exactly what they didn't want to happen. Uh, the Sabbath came and went uneventful compared to the previous week now that that troublemaker Jesus was gone and dead. But before the sun came up on the Sunday morning, Mary could not contain herself in her grief. So she went to the tomb. And that's where this chapter starts. And there's a lot of running back and forth. Mary goes to the tomb and finds it empty. So she runs back to the disciples. Peter and John uh, then run back to the, to the tomb for themselves. And it seems that Mary must have followed them as well. Uh, they see the empty tomb and then they go back to the place where they were staying, leaving Mary behind. Uh, she has an encounter with Jesus and then she runs back to tell the disciples. Uh, and then later that same day, Jesus appears to them all in the room. But we'll look at that in, in just a moment. But first, there's a few things to notice with all this running back and forth. Look at verse 2. Uh, it refers to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. Now, it doesn't mean that Jesus didn't love uh, all the other disciples. It just means Jesus had an especially close bond 
with this one disciple. So who is it? Well, you can see it again in verse 8, the other disciple. And there's lots of phrases like that in John's Gospel. It's actually John himself. It's the author's way of humbly referring to himself. I like the bit about outrunning Peter, though. Uh, he's anonymous. Yep. He's humble. Well, maybe. <laughs> Note his personal transformation that takes place at the end of verse 8. He saw and believed. When learning to preach, we were often told to work out the big idea of the passage. But friends, if we had to kind of pick the big idea of the whole of John's gospel, it'd be something like this. Believe in Jesus and you'll receive eternal life. Now, it was not Jesus' miracles that moved John's heart to saving faith. It was not Jesus' teaching that moved John's heart to saving faith. It was not Jesus' death that moved John's heart to saving faith. It wasn't even the warm friendship that he enjoyed with Jesus that moved him to saving faith. It was the resurrection. The resurrection. For, for It demonstrated Jesus' power over even death. The resurrection proved the truthfulness of everything Jesus taught. He told his disciples that he was going to be uh, suffer and, and die at the hands of the leaders of the day. And it played out exactly the way he had told them. But imagine that someone told you not only how they're going to die, but that they're going to rise again. That's what Jesus had told his disciples. And that's exactly what happened. The resurrection revealed Jesus as way more than just a close friend. He is the living Saviour, Lord and God. John saw and believed. Now Mary was also a close friend of Jesus. When Peter ran uh, and John ran back to the others, they must have just shot straight past Mary without saying anything to her. Because there she is, verse 11, uh, standing outside the tomb crying. Now picture uh, the, the kind of loud weeping and wailing typical of funerals in the Middle East. It's probably what she, she sounded like. And when she looks in, she sees two angels, one at the head and the other at the foot. This is kind of reminiscent of the angelic creatures at each end of the ark. Because the place between them was known as the mercy seat, the place uh, of God's forgiveness to be found. Now Jesus, it seems, is saying, is, is the mercy seat, the place, or better, the, the person through whom God's forgiveness can be found. Mary turns around at that point and she sees Jesus, but she doesn't recognise him. Perhaps it was still too dark. Perhaps his appearance was somehow different. Not like those travellers on the road to Emmaus. They did not recognise him straight away either. Perhaps it was simply because Jesus was the last person she expected to see alive. Then there's a, a beautiful exchange. Jesus calls her by name. Remember what Jesus said about the good shepherd? He calls his sheep by name and they listen to his voice. Or Mary recognises him immediately and is filled with glorious, inexpressible joy. Rabboni, she exclaims. It's a sort of more exalted version of the term rabbi. 
Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Jesus is lifting her and all the disciples up to the status as child of God. Isn't that exactly what, what John said way back in his introduction? Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Friends, this is amazing. If you believe in Jesus, if you put your trust in him as the one through whom God's forgiveness can be found, God adopts you into his spiritual family forever. You have eternal life with him. Now, if that's true for you, then, friend, rejoice. If you're not sure, or you know it's not true, then please, let's talk. Nothing in this life is more important. Well, let's now see what happens later in the day. Verse 19, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. The words, peace be with you, that's a pretty standard greeting. It means, may you enjoy complete well-being. It's similar to the way uh, some Christians say, God bless you. But then in verse 21, uh, it points out that Jesus deliberately says it again, and this time, it's introducing John's version of the Great Commission. And there's four parts to it. Peace, the sending, the role of the Spirit, and forgiveness that comes as a result. Uh, there's a lot of ink spilled over what each part of these verses means, but that's actually half the problem. You see, they're meant to be read together and understood together. When we trust in Jesus, he gives us peace with God. And Jesus sends us to share how others can have that same peace. In other words, to share the gospel about Jesus and all that he's done for us. But we can't change people's hearts. We need the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Then as, as people hear the gospel and they respond, they either repent and are forgiven or they reject Christ and remain unforgiven. That's what's saying in verse 23. See, if you read verse 23 just by itself, it sounds like Jesus is telling his disciples that they can choose who to forgive or not to forgive. But when we read it in the context of the whole gospel, of all that Jesus taught them, we see that he's already given them the criteria for that forgiveness. Turn from sin and trust in Jesus and we'll receive the forgiveness of God. And so if a person does that, we can confidently say that they are forgiven by God. Now the disciples have just been commissioned by Jesus to tell others, so why not start with an easy target? Thomas, the one that disciple that wasn't in the room uh, when Jesus met with them. Uh, and how does he respond? Verse 25. 
unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and my hand into his side, I will not believe. I bet they didn't see that response coming. Friends, I thank God for Thomas though. He's the spokesperson for all who come to God with questions. Good questions, logical questions, questions based on history or or our experience of life. God never encourages us to blindly believe everything we hear. In fact, God encourages discernment. That's one thing I personally like about the Christian faith. It makes intelligent sense of the world we live in. The good, the bad, the ugly. Before we come back to Thomas, let me ask you this question. What are some of the doubts or concerns you have? Doubts that perhaps prevent you from putting your trust in Jesus? Or doubts that prevent your faith from flourishing? It's worth being honest with God about those things. It's worth being honest with your Christian friends so we can at least have a conversation. I'd encourage you to investigate the historical evidence for Christianity and for the resurrection. I'm sure it will only strengthen your faith, and in fact many people have come to faith by doing exactly that. Christianity doesn't demand blind faith. We're invited and encouraged to seek truth, but we're also called to believe when we have good reason to. And for Thomas, Jesus gives him very good reason to believe. Verse 26, a week later, a whole week he's wrestling with his doubts. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Here is the good shepherd caring for his wayward doubting sheep. Thomas had demanded proof. He'd refused to believe despite the testimony of the other disciples. His belief was conditional on seeing the marks in Jesus' hands and side. So Jesus, knowing his doubt, gives him that proof. He really shouldn't have needed. He shows his hands and his side. He answers Thomas' objections. Now, we're not told if Thomas actually took up the offer to physically touch Jesus' side and hands. I suspect he would have rather sheepishly refused to do so. But his belief is immediate. In verse 28, with a mix of humility and deep conviction, he declares, my Lord and my God. What a striking turnaround. What a marvellous conversion. What genuine faith we see right there. But Jesus does not commend his slowness to believe. And he does not for a moment suggest that his grace shown to Thomas will be repeated for others when they refuse to believe without more evidence. Verse 29. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. It's both a rebuke and a wonderful promise. Let me state the obvious. None of us have seen Jesus in the flesh. We were born about 2,000 years too late, and we're on the wrong side of the planet. 
But if you believe in Jesus today, you are blessed. That's what Jesus is saying. That sounds good, doesn't it? But what does it actually mean? Blessing, blessing is the deliberate choice to look upon someone or something with favour and kindness. And you find it all the way through the Bible, right from the very first chapter. Genesis 1 says, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. You go all the way through the Bible, lots and lots and lots of blessing going on. And you get to the very last chapter of the Bible, and there it is again. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. It's talking about heaven. We're going to be looking at that in a couple of weeks in more detail. Blessing, it's like one of those major threads that ties Scripture together. Now, for the sake of time, let me just pick one really significant example. After the fall, Genesis chapter 3, you know, humanity is plunged into a downward spiral of sin turning their backs on God, and, and God intervened by choosing Abraham to be the forefather of his people, the Israelites. Listen to this incredible promise that God made to Abraham. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, there's a lot of blessing going on there, but I want to pick up just on that last line. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The New Testament writers make this abundantly clear that this promise is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, direct descendant of Abraham. In Jesus, we receive the blessing of sins forgiven. Guilt removed, the indwelling Holy Spirit, adoption into God's family and eternal life. What's more, since we have received God's blessings in Christ, he calls us to be a blessing to others. What a, what a marvellous, marvellous package we have when we put our trust in the risen Lord Jesus Christ and find life in his name. Let me pray. Dear Father God, it's so good to see how the resurrection of Jesus filled Peter, John, Mary, Thomas and the other disciples with inexpressible joy and unshakable hope. Please help us not to merely appreciate what happened to them, but to personally experience the life-transforming blessing of life through our risen Lord Jesus as we trust and follow him. Amen. Oh,